grace be you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, the 29th verse. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. You who are here in God's house and you also, dear friends of our radio audience, on a beautiful morning like this, it is nice, isn't it, to be here in God's house and it is nice, radio friends, to have you worshiping with us on this beautiful day, too. As you and I know, this is the first Sunday after Easter. On our calendars, this Sunday has the name of Quasimodo Genity Sunday. And you may say, what does that mean? Well, those are Latin words, the three Latin words of the intro for the day in Latin. And those words mean as newborn babes. The disciple says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So today is known as newborn babe Sunday. And the ancient gospel lesson for this Sunday tells the story of what happened on Easter Sunday night and on the following Sunday night. It is that gospel that will be read today in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches throughout the world. And that is the basis of our text this morning, that which happened on Easter Sunday night and the following Sunday night. Do you recall that on Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, then he appeared to the women, and in the afternoon he made a special appearance to Peter, and then he appeared to the two men on the way to Emmaus, and then that night when the disciples were gathered together and they were behind locked doors because they feared for their life, Jesus stood in the midst of them and he said, Peace be unto you. And then he showed them the prince in his hands and in his side, identifying himself as the risen Christ. And then we are told, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus repeated a second time to them, Peace be unto you. And he said, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And then he breathed on them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And we are told that that night at that church service, there was one of the twelve who was not there, and that was Thomas Didymus, called the twin. He missed church that night. And so sometime after that Sunday night, the disciples, when they saw Thomas, they ran to him and they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. The Lord is risen from the dead. And Thomas said, uh, cool down, he said, I don't dig that. You can't let me believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And he says, and I won't believe it. He said, I won't believe it unless I can look and I can see the prince in his hands and in his side. And unless I can take my finger and put my finger in the prince in his hands and in his side. 
I will not believe it, and you'll never get me to believe that he is risen from the dead. So Thomas that day, and then the following Sunday night, Thomas happened to be at church that night, and the Lord again, the risen Christ, appeared, and he greeted them, peace be unto you. And then he looked at Thomas, and he said, come on, Thomas. And what a scene that must have been that night behind locked doors when Thomas walked up to the risen Christ and took his finger and put it in the prince in his hand and I can imagine Jesus saying push it in real far Thomas make sure that you feel my hand all right now the other hand now take your fist Thomas and put it in this hole in my side and then he said Thomas don't be a doubter he said believe and then he said this he says Thomas because you have seen me you have believed and then Jesus stated this blessed are they who have not seen me and yet have believed. And you know those words that the risen Christ spoke that Sunday night, we're taking those as the basis of our sermon this morning. Jesus, nearly 2,000 years later, the risen Christ says to you and me, Oh, blessed are you, you Christians. Oh, happy and fortunate are you. You are, as Christians who believe in me, you are the most blessed and the most fortunate and the most to be envied people in all the world even though you have never seen me, even though you have never seen me, your risen Christ and Lord, face to face. You and I may say, now just wait a minute. Does Christ the risen Savior mean to say that we as Christians are the most fortunate people on the face of the earth today, even though we have never seen him face to face? Then we may say, well, if I've never seen him face to face, and I haven't, have you? You haven't either, have you? You and I have not seen him face to face. And then we would say to ourselves, well, since I have never seen the risen Christ face to face, therefore it is utterly impossible for me to believe without any doubt, without any feeling of compunction, that he arose from the dead. Because I haven't seen him, therefore it is impossible for me really to be assured without the shadow of a doubt that he has risen from the dead, that he is the Savior. And so you and I may say, I question when the risen Christ said that we are the most fortunate people in all the world, we Christians, even though we have never laid eyes on him and seen him. We may say it may be true that we are the greatest dopes that have ever lived, that you and I may be the greatest suckers that ever lived in human history, that we may be the most credulous people, believing that he rose from the dead when we have no basis, we've never seen him. How do you and I know? And we may be, as P.T. Barnum has said, there's one born every minute, we may be the greatest fools in history. We may be the greatest dopes that ever lived, the greatest fools, the greatest suckers, believing that he arose from the dead when we've never seen him. And we may say it's utterly impossible to believe without a doubt that he arose from the dead when you and I have not seen him. And we may say there's something about Thomas well, that we agree with him when he said, you've got to show him to me and I've got to see him. But your Lord and mine, the risen Christ, said, blessed are they who have not seen but who have believed. 
the risen Christ says to you and me today that we as Christians, we are the most fortunate individuals in this world, even though you and I have not seen him face to face. We have not seen the risen Christ and our Savior, but Jesus says we are the most fortunate and all because of this. It is not impossible to believe that he has risen from the dead and to believe that without having doubts. We don't need any doubts, and we know why. Because Christ says this, that even though you and I have not seen him face to face, nevertheless he has given us this evidence. He has given us the testimony of those men who did see him who did see him and who did know that he arose from the dead. You and I may stop a minute, we may say, now wait a minute, are you saying this, that the testimony of the men who did see the risen Christ, that that measures up to the evidence that would be ours if we could see him face to face? Does that measure up, is that kind of evidence as good as the evidence of sight? Wouldn't we be more convinced that Jesus arose from the dead if you could see him face to face and I could see him? Can the testimony of those who did see him, can that be rock of Gibraltar evidence? Can it measure up and be as good as the evidence of sight? We may wonder about that and we may say, well, we do have the testimony of those that did see him, but that falls far short of what the evidence would be if you and I could see him. But you know, Christ doesn't agree with that at all. You and I say to ourselves, the testimony of those that have seen him, does that measure up with the evidence that would be ours if we could see him face to face? Christ in the first place assures you and me that the testimony of those who saw the risen Christ, that it is rock of Gibraltar evidence, it is just as equal, and it is just as fine, just as splendid as the evidence of seeing him face to face. And you may say, prove that, preacher. I don't think that's hard, because Jesus reprimanded Thomas Thomas would not accept the testimony of the other disciples who had seen him. They came to him and they told him that they had seen the Christ. There was no reason in God's world why Thomas should not have accepted the testimony of those men. And when he said, no, I'll not believe you, he was calling them a liar. He was saying, you're trying to deceive me. You're not telling the truth. Your character is no good. Jesus says, Thomas, don't you be a doubter, but you be a believer. Jesus did not owe it to Thomas to appear so that he could see him. He did not owe him that at all. The very fact that Thomas repudiated the testimony of those men that saw him showed this, that this was on his part a determined unbelief. And Jesus didn't owe it to him because, again, if you and I reject seeing testimony and we demand that that must be ours, then we are saying we don't choose to believe. When a man says, I've got to see him before I believe in him, if you and I did see him, then we'd say, well, how do I know you ever die? You're going to have to go back to Calvary and die all over again. 
I'm not sure you were ever dead. I'm not sure that you're the risen Christ. And therefore, your Christ and mine assures us of this, that the testimony of those who did see him, the risen Christ, that that is just as equal. That is just as mountaintop. That is just as certain evidence as the evidence of you and me seeing him face to face. And therefore, we are the most fortunate of all people on earth, even though you've never seen Christ, nor have I, because we can be just as certain that Jesus arose from the dead and that he conquered at Calvary, just as certain as those men were who saw him face to face. There need be no doubt in your mind and mine. Those men that saw him have testified, we saw the risen Christ. And therefore in this world we can say to ourselves, this I'm sure of, and I know that I'm not being a dope. I know that I'm not being somebody who again is being deceived. I know I'm not credulous. I know I'm not ready to believe anything hook, line, and sinker without the least bit of evidence. I know this that I am the most fortunate of all men, even though I haven't seen Christ, because the testimony of those men that saw him assures me that he did conquer at Calvary. He did purchase the redemption of the world. He did bear the guilt and punishment of your sin and mine. He did conquer death for you and me. He did bring forgiveness, life, and salvation for the world. That we can stand assured of even though you have never seen him nor divide. And that's why on this Sunday after Easter, we can say to ourselves, we as Christians who put our faith in Christ, we again are the most fortunate, the most blessed, the most people again to be envied of all human beings, even though we have never seen Christ face to face, because we can be sure, we can be absolutely certain without any shadow of a doubt that Jesus arose from the dead we have the testimony of those who did see him. And then when we can assure ourselves of that, we ought not to be just too envious of those who had the privilege of seeing the risen Christ. I suppose all of us in life have said to ourselves, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have lived in the first century? Wouldn't it have been wonderful to have seen Jesus when he was here on earth? Well, are you sure that it would have been so wonderful? Isn't it rather strange that many who saw him turned away from him? Uh, he, again, had no form nor comeliness. There was no halo around his neck that everybody knew that he was the Son of God or over his head. There was nothing unusual about his appearance. So many turned away from him that even one day, you recall, he said to the disciples, Will you also go away? And as regards the resurrected Christ, when he appeared on the mountain in Galilee, we are told that some believed that it was he and some doubted. They even doubted his appearance. When you and I will to disbelieve, then if we would see him face to face, we would still not believe in him we would still demand something further. Oh, to have lived in that century in the economy of God, Christ came into the world and a few men had contacts with him. He came in that century and there were those again who saw him. But in the wisdom of God, that was history. And it was not the plan of God that Christ should continually appear to anyone who was hearing his word. Christ appeared to those again who were relevant in the picture assuring them and then gave us the testimony of those who saw him. We ought to thank God today 
not that we again would have liked to have had the privilege of the first century. Thank God that we've been born, that you and I have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that again we are the most fortunate of all human beings because even though we haven't seen him, we can say, but this I know, without a shadow of a doubt, I've not seen him. But because of the testimony of those who have, I know this, that Christ did arise from the dead. He is the Lord and the Savior. I have all the proof that I need. It is just as certain as the rock of Gibraltar. You and I may say, well, the testimony of those who again have seen him, can that measure up, can that can be compared in any way whatsoever with the, again, the evidence that would be yours and mine if we saw him face to face? Christ assures us that there's no difference, that they stand equally because in the second place Christ assures us of this. He assures us that the testimony of those who saw Christ, he tells us this is just as certain as the rock of Gibraltar. It is evidence that again is so effective that he uses it alone for the advancement of his kingdom here on earth, his church, without having to add his personal appearances as the risen Christ. What did he say that night in the room when he was with them behind locked doors? He said, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. They were to go out, and then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, and then they were to go out, and whosoever sins they would forgive would be forgiven, and whosoever sins they retained would be retained. In other words, they were to go out, and they were to bear testimony that they had seen the risen Christ and go out and tell the good news. When those men went out and they told the good news, there was no special appearance of Jesus Christ to every audience. He didn't appear. Those men simply went out and said, we saw Christ who was raised from the dead. And that's the testimony that Jesus gave for the advancement of his church. And you and I may say, not very good testimony, was it? Well, let's look at the church. What happened in the church? Those men went out. And then one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus reached down and he picked up Saul of Tarsus, didn't he? And he said, now you've seen me. You go out and testify that you have seen me, the risen Christ, and you tell people the good news. And Paul started out, didn't he, on his tremendous missionary journeys over in Antioch in Syria, going down to the island of Cyprus, going up into the Galatian country of Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And on the second missionary journey, came to Troas in Asia Minor, and he heard the Macedonian crawl across the Aegean Sea, went over to the continent of Europe, up into Macedonia, and there he preached up in Philippi, and you know the story of Lydia, the seller of purple, established a church there. Why? Simply testifying he had seen the Christ. Jesus didn't appear in Philippi to the congregation that he preached to. Paul testified, I've seen him. You say that it wasn't effective, and he went down into Thessalonica, and from Thessalonica over into Berea, and from Berea over into Athens, and then over to Corinth in Greece, and spent 18 months there building up a tremendous Christian congregation. On what basis? The testimony that Paul said, I saw the risen Christ. Those men didn't see Jesus face to face. And on the third missionary journey, spending three years in Ephesus and Asia Minor, where he did his wondrous work, the world was turned upside down. And you say, why is that the testimony of the church today? Why those men that went out and testified that they had seen him, Christ didn't appear to every group. And look at the Christian church today. 
Do you realize the size of the Christian church? All men talk about defeatism for the Christian church. But when you and I look, do you realize at the last count that there are over 800 million in the world right now who attest to being Christians? And that the next in line, again, are the Muslims, and they count a little over 400 million. And then come the Hindus, and they count a little over 300 million. Do you realize that the testimony of men who said they saw the risen Christ has brought into existence a Christian church that is larger than the next two largest religions combined? 869 million Christians. What did it? Christ appearing as evidence? No. The testimony of the men who saw him. Jesus says, I send you out. And they went out. And therefore, again, you and I are the most fortunate of all human beings. No, you haven't seen him, nor have I. And you and I don't have to say, well, because I haven't seen him, therefore the best that I can do is just uh, with doubt believe that he is the risen Christ. And Jesus says, oh, no, you are the most fortunate of all, even though you've never seen me. I give you the testimony of those that did. And this testimony ranks in equality and up on a par and on a very basis with, again, the evidence of seeing me face to face, which means that you and I can be absolutely certain that the peace of God is ours in Christ, just as certain as were those men who saw him face to face and heard him say, Peace be unto you. We are the most fortunate individuals in this world, and don't forget it. No, you haven't seen him, nor have I. Nor does it follow, therefore, that like Thomas we can say, because I haven't seen him, it's impossible for me to believe without having some kind of doubt within my mind. You and I aren't the greatest dopes in the world. We aren't the greatest suckers in the world. We aren't the greatest, again, uh, credulous individuals that swallow something hook, line, and sinker. No, Jesus says, blessed, you're the most fortunate people on earth. Why? Because we have this absolute certainty, the peace of God, that all is well in Christ. No doubt about it. That when you and I have repented of our sins and we have put our trust in him, there is forgiveness of sins. And when we have put on that robe of righteousness that he earned for us, oh, that robe of righteousness that we have only covers up our sins every day. And we ask for forgiveness every day. And that's what matters, not whether you and I die with our boots on or with our boots off. The peace of God is ours. Everything is just right. We can be certain because we have the testimony of men who saw him, that Jesus arose, that he is the Savior. What greater comfort would you and I want? The peace of God. Oh, it may vary in our feelings. There may be days when we don't feel this peace of God as much as we should, but it's always there. Peace be unto you, says the living Christ. When you and I have that, nothing else matters. When we can believe, therefore, that we are, again, we are the most fortunate individuals on earth, Christians, yes, even though we've never seen him face to face, then it ought to be within your life and mind a desire to go out and to share this Christ with somebody else. Have you and I had the courage to share him? Have we ever talked to somebody about this Christ when we have the testimony of the men who saw him that he is beyond the shadow of a doubt, the risen Christ, the Savior? Are we afraid? Do we feel that, oh, somehow they're just telling isn't effective? The Holy Spirit still works in that testimony. 
You may say, how do I feel as a minister standing up here in the pulpit preaching? You say, what have you got to say, preacher? Just this, that Christians, you are the most fortunate people in all the world. I know you've never seen Christ, and I haven't either. And you may say, well, then it's impossible to know with certainty. And I say, oh, no. We have the testimony of men who saw him. And because they have seen him, and because they tell us that he is risen, then you and I know this, that this word of God, again, the Holy Spirit has the power to bring us to faith in Christ. Oh, it seems so hopeless, but you see, we don't make Christians. The Holy Spirit does through the testimony of those who have seen him. Then, oh, to have the joy that someday in heaven somebody will come up to you and me and say, uh, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. I wonder how many times old Peter, Pete Johnson, has gone over to his brother Andrew and he says, Andy, thanks, sir. You introduced me to the Lord. If you hadn't done it, maybe I wouldn't have known him. The eternal gratitude of Pete Johnson for our brother Andy who introduced him. Well, you and I have that kind of joy in heaven that somebody may come up to you and me and say, Thanks, sir. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. You told me about him. About him, the testimony of men who have said that he died and he arose again. The living Christ, the living Savior. On this, again, quasi-modo Gennity Sunday as newborn babe, and we may say to ourselves, what does the living Christ have to say? Well, he says this, blessed are you, you who have put your faith in me. He says, you are the most fortunate people in all the world, you Christians. Oh, I know you've never seen me. I know that you haven't seen me face to face, the risen Christ. But again, he says, you aren't being duped. You aren't being played for a sucker. You aren't, again, a dope that somebody has taken advantage of you, Jesus says, you are most fortunate. I have given you the testimony of those who have seen me. And that ranks first-rate evidence. It is solid as the rock of Gibraltar. It is just as fine as seeing me face to face. If it weren't, Jesus would have used personal appearances in the extension of his kingdom, but he didn't do it. And he doesn't do it today. And also he assures you and me also that this testimony of men who have seen him, why it's as solid as the rock of Gibraltar, it again, it is enduring. It'll never be replaced by personal appearances in his church. It isn't necessary. What did he do? Christ depended upon the testimony of men who had seen him, not upon personal appearances because he knew that if he had to appear in every group, you and I wouldn't believe anyway. We would say, how do we know that you were ever dead? You'll have to go back to the cross and you'll have to show us and every individual would demand it. Christ says, I give you the testimony of those who saw me, the risen Christ. It's enduring. Those men who saw, they wrote it down. In that group again, Matthew wrote down because he testified and he saw the risen Christ. John was in the group and John wrote it down. And there was Peter and Peter wrote it in his epistles. He saw it. And then there was Paul who saw the living Christ. He testifies in the word of God. I saw him. You can know this, that he is the risen Christ. Take my word for it. And that's the way it's an enduring thing. And then they wrote it down. Those men wrote it down in the scriptures and men 
again who wrote it down because they talked to those who had seen him. Look at the testimony that you and I have that it endures, it stands today. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians, and First and Second Thessalonians, and First and Second Timothy, and Titus, and Philemon, and Hebrews, and James, and First and Second Peter, and First, Second, Third John, and Jude, and Revelation. Those words stand enduring. What are they? The testimony of men who saw the risen Christ. And that's what Jesus depends on. When that word is preached, when that word is preached as the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible record of men who saw him, then you and I know that that word brings us this certainty, that we can be certain that we're going to see him face to face, just as sure as those men in that room that night, they saw him face to face. We'll see him. Oh, yes, that's going to come because this Christ who arose is coming back. And he promises to raise up our bodies because he conquered the grave. And we shall see him even as Job of old said, I know that my Redeemer liveth that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, in my body, I am going to see him. Oh yes, we are the most fortunate, aren't we? And when we can realize that today, Christians are the most fortunate people. We aren't the dopes that the world would want us to think we are. We aren't the suckers falling for everything just because we want to believe it. We aren't the credulous that we simply swallow everything hook, line, and sinker with no basis of evidence that, again, we are, of all people, most miserable and that we are J.T. Barnum's, a fool born every minute. Oh, no. You and I have never seen him but there is no reason for doubt, and therefore today we ought to say to ourselves, unbelief is absolutely inexcusable. There is no reason any man that turns to Jesus and says, the reason why I rejected you is because I've never seen you, and I told you that I'd never believe unless you see me, Jesus will say to him, you stand without excuse. I have given you the testimony of men that have seen me, and therefore you stand condemned. If you won't believe the testimony of men who have seen me, neither would you believe had I made a personal appearance to you. But oh, the story of Thomas. How about Thomas? Let's don't end it there, oh. Work can be thankful that Thomas demanded it. Jesus didn't have to give him a personal appearance, but he did. And, but Thomas again gave, you realize, one of the grandest confessions in the whole of Christendom. When he realized and saw it, and he saw what unreasonable demands he had made, and he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, My Lord and my God. There's no grander confession in all the New Testament than that. My Lord and my God, oh, there was a man convinced. You know, those men, according to tradition, they cut up the world. And each man took a part, and tradition says that Thomas went into India. You know, if you go to Madras, right outside of Madras in India, not far from the city limits, there is a mound that is still called St. Thomas Mound. There are Christians in India that call themselves St. Thomas Christians, evidence that Thomas went there and he preached because he gave the testimony, I saw the risen Christ. 
And he went amongst the heathen of the world in his day, and he suffered martyrdom. He lost his life. Thomas gave his life for the Christ about whom he gave testimony. That's the Thomas we ought to remember. My Lord and my God, a man who came to assurance, yes, he saw Christ, but a man who went out and gave his life in testimony, he had seen the living Christ, and he died for that Jesus. And when, again, you and I know that unbelief is so horribly inexcusable, then we ought to comfort ourselves in saying, I am the most fortunate of all human beings because I know this Christ. And what a comfort that is in this world as of now. What are you sure of in this world now? Sure of anything? I, I like to think of this world, it seems to me like it's like an automobile coming down a mountain road from way up in the heights, and it's coming down, and the brakes have failed, and the car is gaining momentum, and you and I say, for God's sake, where is it going to go? It looks like we've lost control of everything, haven't we? Think of a city the size of Detroit without a newspaper for months. You and I say, what's wrong? Isn't there somebody... Isn't there somebody in the newspaper fraternity somewhere in communication somehow that can restore a newspaper to a city the size of Detroit that it goes on month in and out, telephone strike and do without communications by telephone? Looks like we, we, we just stand helpless, don't we? Here calling for peace to stop slaughtering our sons and daughters in Vietnam, and for God's sake, they can't even find a place to hold a peace conference. Meantime, our kids are being slaughtered. Say, what, what are you sure of in the world? I heard a man say this, talking about nuclear bombs. He said, here's the way you have to put it. If Russia were to attack us within moments, they could kill 70% of our population. But within moments, if we retaliate, we could kill 90%. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Anybody gaining on that one? Seven out of ten of us killed, but over there, nine out of ten. What would be left for anybody? We say to ourselves, what's left? It's so hopeless. This car is coming down this mountain gaining momentum and we we just we're just standing there supining it looks so hopeless and yet through it all jesus says blessed are you who believe in me even though you haven't seen me you and i can stand and say the ground is trembling on which we're standing it just looks like we've lost control race rides man against man civil rights and murderings and lootings going into schools and again destroying property oh god what's happening the storm clouds but the risen christ of easter says blessed are you through it all when it gets so black and it looks so hopeless you and i can walk the glory road we can still sing we know through the testimony of men who saw the risen Christ, we need have no doubt whatsoever that he is our risen Lord. And we can sing, I know whom I believe in. 
I know what firm abides when all around me fading away like vapor glides. I know what lasts forever when all things shake and fall, when with the wise forsaketh and craft doth craft for stall. It is the light of glory. It is my Jesus King. It is the rock I stand on. It is of this I sing. He never more shall fail me, deliverer, shepherd mine. He lighteth all my darkness. He makes my path to shine. Most fortunate on earth, no, we've never seen him. But thank God we've got the testimony of those who have. That's hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.